Before this episode starts, I want to preface it with a warning that this episode contains some themes and stronger language than what I think you're normally used to from audio clips of incidents that are high stress. If this isn't something that you'd like to listen to, then I suggest you maybe push it off till the next episode and we'll get back on normal then. But for now, I think we can get into it. I like to watch Twitch streams. It's not shocking, I know, but I enjoy the interaction I get with the streamer and their audience, and sometimes it's just a really nice way to unwind. It's nice background noise to have as well, so that I can jump in and out of tasks with something that is a bit continuous. And every once in a while, I might get a little shout-out from the person that I'm watching, and I think that's pretty neat. I don't think about that shout-out much more than a passing glimmer of fun, but what if I told you that there are people out there that set out to make the worst impact? And what if I told you that it didn't stop at entertainers, that it could move on to people trying to make a worse impact on you or where you work? The kind of people that aren't happy unless they're causing chaos or harm. It's not a pleasant thought, but it's a very real thing that happens. How many news articles have you read about a streamer just going about their work and suddenly the cops bust the door down? Or articles that say, hey, there was a false threat made to a workplace near you. It's always about causing disruption. Sometimes it's about causing harm, and maybe even sometimes it's about trying to cause death. For the next few months, every other episode, I'm going to inject a part of a series based around internet privacy and how using things like open source intelligence or just being unwise with how you approach your life on the internet can go a bit down a darker path. We'll talk about things like cyber stalking, doxers, political campaigns, and more. But for today, I'm John Cordes, and I'm inviting you to come with me so I can explain to you what the shell swatting is and why this prank is anything but a good time. What if I said, right now, someone might be making a call to the police department of your town? And the only reason they're doing so is to make it seem like you're going ballistic. You might be sitting here wondering, why would someone do that? What did I do to them? Well, in this case, honestly, it might not matter. You might just be the next in line for what they think are wacky antics, or maybe you might have wronged them in the past, or hell, maybe you even create content and they're just a fan that wants to have an impact. What they're getting ready to do to you is called swatting. So what exactly is swatting? In simple terms, it's a malicious act where someone deliberately makes a false emergency call to law enforcement, typically claiming a high stakes crisis at a targeted location. This location could be where you are, or it could be somewhere that they're just aiming to disrupt the day-to-day -day lives of. And the action could include false reports of armed intruders, hostages, or even bomb threats. The goal, as I mentioned a minute ago, is to trigger an overwhelming response from heavily armed tactical units. And those are commonly known as SWAT teams, hence swatting. And I want to make this clear at the beginning. I do not condone this. Swatting is not a harmless prank. It is a potentially lethal crime. The unsuspecting victims often find themselves at the center of increasingly chaotic situations with armed officers descending upon their homes or their workplace. Lives are put at risk and valuable police resources are diverted from real emergencies. But you might wonder, is swatting even legal? 
And in the United States, the answer is an unequivocal no. Swatting is a criminal offense that carries severe penalties. Perpetrators can be charged with false reporting, conspiracy, and may face even more federal charges due to the impact on public safety and even infrastructure. And I want you to keep in mind, false reporting and conspiracy, because those do kind of come back around towards the end of the episode. Throughout recent history, swatting has plagued countless individuals from various walks of life. We're going to cover today a bit about why a swatter might do what they do and how you might think that you're safe, but you can't always be sure if you're putting yourself out there. These incidents aren't always even coordinated by just one individual. Sometimes it can be an entire group of friends, a group of hackers, or group of individuals that just want to make some money coordinating this. And at this point in the episode, I've found myself reordering it quite a bit because honestly, as I was structuring it, I didn't know where I wanted to start with this. This is something that dips in and out of cyber territory. The stories are interesting and horrifying and everything in between, and they often take place as a result of actions that happen on the internet. You know, social media, content creation, even just having close relationships. But I think to set the story, I'm going to talk about the story of a young girl and how she was impacted by swatting. I became aware of this story because of an article and an investigation that Vice did that uncovered one swatter's actions. So let's take you back to the fall of 2022, because at this time, the eventual victim, let's call her Molly for this story, was just 15 years old. Molly's name is not included in any of the legal affidavits for this. She's merely referred to as Victim A, but Molly is in high school, just trying to live what I expect to be a normal life when she accepted a Snapchat friend request from a person named Brayden Williams. Now, for anyone who might not use it, Snapchat is the social media application on your phone that lets you send pictures back and forth, and after a certain amount of time, you can delete the pictures. So I can send you something, and in 10 seconds, the picture's gone. Now, there are countless ways in which people try to go about skirting those rules, but that's the basis of the platform. And you can add people from your contacts, you can add them by username. It's actually a pretty popular tool used for open source intelligence investigations because it frequently ties people to other accounts. And now Molly has accepted the request from Brayden and over the following months, she would continue to chat with him over Telegram, Discord, and expanding that friendship to other forms of social media. But later on in 2022, Williams was arrested. Brayden had been a part of a hacking group called The Com. That's C-O-M-M. -M. The Com were essentially a group of younger people that were in it to try to make some money in some shady ways. Their MO seemed to be that they would sim swap people, access their crypto wallets, and drain the funds. And for anyone that might not be aware, sim swapping is a form of attack against your cell phone. Every cell phone has that sim card that ties it to a carrier like Sprint or T-Mobile, and this attack targets that specific card. The way a SIM swap works starts with an attacker knowing that in order to get into someone's account, they probably need to get past some kind of second form of authentication, like that one-time code that gets sent to your phone. Do you see where I'm going with this? They'll acquire information on someone, either by their own means or purchasing it on the dark web, then use that information to try to swap your phone number that's tied to your SIM card in your phone to a new SIM card in their phone. Then their phone effectively becomes your phone. Now, 
Sometimes this is only going to last for a little bit, but it's enough time to do damage. In just a few minutes, an attacker can use the credentials that they've acquired, get a completely valid passcode to log in, and then drain the funds out of whatever account they can get access to. It's tough, and it's why a lot of mobile carriers are trying to implement a more strict verification process so that it's not able to just be purchased on the dark web and have a SIM swap attack occur. Because remember, technically, from a process standpoint, what's happening here is completely legitimate. Anyways, like I said, Williams is a part of the comm group who do this, and amongst other things, they're also known for swatting. I found the court records for his arrest warrant, and it tells a story up to this point, so here's what explicitly is called out for him. To establish probable cause, we have section for, quote, email hijacking, SIM swapping that resulted in the theft of cryptocurrency, the conspiracy to sell this information. It even goes as far as to lay out him and his crew's tactics, saying that in this case, quote, specifically, there is evidence that this group of co-conspirators first hijacked victims' email accounts and then conducted reconnaissance on potential victims by trying to fraudulently initiate password resets for victims' Coinbase accounts. After identifying victims who are likely to have higher amounts of cryptocurrency in their accounts, Williams and or his co-conspirators then were able to access without authorization victims' Coinbase accounts that typically require multi-factor authentication. That's all to say that they would buy or brute force their way into email accounts, figure out who was worth going after by sitting on the email for a while, then go through a process that we outlined to hack the Coinbase account. And that's all to say that once Williams was arrested, eventually he was set free in April of 2023. Molly, having at least a partially decent head on her shoulders here, blocked him on every platform she could. And rightly so. That is the correct thing to do, I think, in this case. This was not a great guy, and he was not a part of a great group of people. But Williams, being that kind of not-so-great guy, did not like this. And remember that bit I mentioned about the Kong group also liking to swap people? Well, it turns out, in the arrest warrant, it also had this one little line that said, Williams has potentially been linked to additional prior swatting incidents, and his associates have been linked to the swatting of U.S. law enforcement officers. So these aren't people that just swat people. Sometimes they try to swat cops as well. It would even go on to detail that in some cases, they like to try to hack into the ring cameras and watch the swatting occur. This all was about to come to a head when this guy, who I guess just couldn't take rejection from someone that's underage, decided to retaliate. Amongst forms of harassment, like throwing a literal brick through her window that said message us or else, Molly's name was used specifically in threats made to hundreds of schools and universities in May of 2023. There were phone calls and emails of threats of varying levels of violence that caused all kinds of disruption because they happened to be around a standard graduation time. So we're talking about high-trafficked, high-density weekends that could have a potential high number of victims in this case. And here we have Brayden who decided that we're going to make these threats and I'm going to say, my name is Molly and I'm going to do this. Ultimately, the police were able to find out that Molly was not involved, but the goal here was twofold. First, engage police in these towns and schools unnecessarily. Secondly, 
and I think more critically, the Kong group might have wanted to make sure that Molly was swatted for what she did or didn't do in this case. So simply by existing and taking what I think was the right course of action when she blocked this guy, Molly became the center of a multi-state investigation. And let's keep on this multi-state investigation piece too, because it wasn't just Molly's police department investigating her, it was each of these cities' individual police forces that needed to respond to the calls. That week or two of threats, as I mentioned, spanned the entirety of the United States. In Pittsburgh, there were reports of shootings at two high schools that didn't actually happen. In New Jersey, schools in Phillipsburg and Allentown had similar reports of students being shot with no actual shooting occurring. The University of Pittsburgh Police Department had to respond to one of these, and in Massachusetts, state police said they knew of 28 different communities that all had swatting calls that week, including the towns of Foxborough, Mansfield, and Westwood, all of which included a call where it was claimed that students have been shot in these schools. And this was all on the back of a real school shooting incident that had occurred in Nashville the week before. So you can imagine that law enforcement here is coming in already high tension from the recent activity. Ultimately, even though many of these tried to pin the blame on Molly and didn't succeed in terms of actually causing injury to her, I suspect that this is one of those things that's going to leave a lasting impact and some level of trauma because I can't imagine going through this and feeling safe online ever again. And I wanna be clear, there will be no victim blaming here, but there can be lessons learned. Be careful letting anyone you don't know in on social media. Even if they present themselves as friendly, it's something that can turn sour. I'm not saying don't do it at all, but calculate your own risk tolerance here and make an educated decision when you do this. It's something that I have to do each time I engage with people about the show, and something that I consider a lot as I try to produce this. But ultimately, like me, the call is yours. This is one of those prime examples of being safe online and making sure that the relationships you do have are trusted relationships. And now I want to move on to streamers, because I brought that up at the top of the show, and I think that this paints an interesting view into how a lot of little pieces can add up into a picture that you might not have wanted to be seen. It also paints a bit of a picture as to why some people might do this. On August 9th of 2022, two separate streamers were both the victims of alleged swatting. Some of you may know these streamers, I wasn't super familiar with them, but I knew the names in passing from other content creators that have mentioned them, and specifically they've mentioned these incidents. They were Aiden Ross and I Show Speed. Now, Aiden Ross is a streamer that got his start in NBA streaming and over his career has kind of become the center of a fair number of controversies. One such incident occurred when he decided to stream the Super Bowl and while doing so, accidentally opened Pornhub. So, multitude of things wrong with that sentence in and of itself, but an interesting character, this guy. The other streamer goes by the moniker, I Show Speed. Speed came into the limelight in about 2019 and has made a name for himself doing kind of crazy stuff, including setting off fireworks in his own home and nearly burning it down. So what happened to these two? How did it go down? How might have someone even known where they were? Ultimately, not much is known about the iShow Speed incident, beyond the fact that there is a video of him being taken out of his home in handcuffs. But it happened in the same time frame as Aiden, so it led many to wonder whether or not they were connected. Well, in Aiden's case, 
there's actually a fair bit more meat to it that I want to talk about because he came forward with some clear-cut information about what it was like. For Aiden's, the first major difference that I was able to find between his incident and iShow Speed's incident was how easy it was to find the incident online. You can go up and find the stream, and just before seven hours into it, you can see Aiden getting up from his desk, hearing a knock at his door. Then, for the next few minutes, the stream is almost in eerie silence. And at that point, it takes about 10 minutes before you can see, in the background, armed police officers appear to be searching the home. Suddenly, it becomes aware to the people that he's streaming to that something is happening and this wasn't just him getting up to answer the door. Nearly 20 minutes passes, and he's streaming the entire time. He comes back, sits down just long enough to close the stream, and before he exits, he says, you did it, whatever troll did it, you did it, congratulations, and ends the stream. I think the most surreal piece to me was that for 20 minutes, there were people sitting there in the Twitch chat making jokes. And it's going to happen again in the next piece that I'll talk about. But there are people online in this chat who very clearly view this as something funny and to be laughed at. Not even three months later, the same thing happened in a much more startling turn of events as well. I'm watching this stream and this video and he's at this point seemingly moved offices or something because it's an entirely different location. But on the evening of November 9th, 2022, it happened again with Aiden. And since this one doesn't have any copyrighted audio to it, I'm going to clip out some bits and just listen to what's happening here. Wild scene in that parking lot. We now have huh? a brand new pursuit on our hands here. Shut the fuck up. We got swatted. And we got swatted. No, you guys didn't do that to me. I'm calling Jed. We got swatted. I'm streaming right now. You, everyone can hear you. We got swatted. We got swatted. There, there's a SWAT team at my house right now, bro. I can hear him. Yeah, yep. he's coming right now. He's coming right now. I hear it. I hear it. All right. Why do y'all do this to people, bro? Like, why do y'all do this, bro? Why the fuck do y'all swap people? Why do y'all do this shit? I hear my friends outside already, like, being screamed at by cops, bro. Why do y'all do this, bro? I hear helicopters, bro. Like, this shit is fucking weird, bro. Yeah, you know why I live and shit? That shit is weird. And now I gotta sit like this, bro, and there's gonna be guns pointing at me on stream. I hear walkie-talkies right now. No, it's not a script. Ant wouldn't come in like that and tell me we're getting swatted. Snagimo, stop yelling! Come downstairs with your hands up. Don't be stupid, bro. Come down with your hands up. I'm fucking shaking right now, bro. I'm actually like, I, I'm actually like scared right now, bro. Guys, just everyone be quiet and come here and put your hands on. I'm not even joking. Like, this shit is actually like, yeah, just put it up, bro. On God. Yeah, I know. It's real. I know. Just put your hands up, bro. They might be like detaining Ant right now and shit too. I know. I know. But don't, just don't be dumb. Just put your hands up. They're not going to do anything. 
Just, just chill. You're moving a lot. Just chill, bro. I know. No, I'm fucking scared. This happened to me, bro. I almost fucking died. This shit's no joke. They're gonna come with guns, right? They're gonna come with guns. Yeah, they're gonna point at us. Everything. Just put your hands up. They're not gonna fucking shoot us, bro. Oh my god, I'm scared. What the fuck did they say? Someone called. Probably said that I'm killing people in here and doing. This is gonna be I'll link the full video on my website and the transcript for the episode at whattheshellpod.com. But you heard it. You hear the combination of emotions in his voice. He's scared. He's infuriated. And he's anxious. He's trying to make it through this without him or his friends getting hurt. And honestly, I think this is about the best reaction that you can have expected from someone. If you keep watching, you can see flashlights in his yard. And his friends seated in the middle of a floor in this room with their hands up, hoping things don't go sideways. And ultimately, they don't, thankfully. To have dealt with this back-to-back -back must have been something that really started to weigh down on him. I can't imagine going to bed at night after that. This period of them seated on the floor, waiting for the cops to come, and everyone being uneasy, lasted about 10 minutes before the cops all ordered them to come outside with their hands up. And the stream just, again, continues to go on. This is, again, I said it before, the most surreal thing to me. And the most dystopian piece of this is the amount of people that are just sitting here for 20 minutes making jokes about an empty room after someone's been swatted, with chat going back and forth on whether or not this is hilarious or scary. Ultimately, again, he does come back and shut the stream off, but not before what I think is a night that he will never forget. Now, originally I had thought that that was the end of the story with Aiden, but what's bizarre is that eventually Aiden confronted his alleged swatter live on stream. I went back and forth on how to bring this part up because I could show you the whole video, but I think it's too long. So I'm going to edit down a couple pieces and give you the highlight reel. But once again, on my website, whatmichellepod.com, in the episode transcript, you can find the full video. Yo, why the fuck did you swap me, bro? Well, I mean... Do you remember that one conversation we had a long time ago and I said, if you keep egoing me and being a weirdo, I'm going to get your door fucking bashed in? We had this uh, conversation in the Cheezer's Discord. Bro, I don't understand it though. Like, I, I don't, you know, I don't look at Discord DMs, bro. And then remember, I also helped you the first time you got swatted and you're, you remember that? That's when me and Shaw were in the Discord with Cheezer and Ray and all them. And then I was like, I need to get my revenge somehow. So basically, I didn't respond to your Discord DM and you swatted me. It was important. It was, it was a very important thing. But bro, why would you swat me because I didn't answer your DM, bro? No, it's not, it's not even just about that. That's funny. How is that funny, though? Uh, you were scared for your life? You thought you were going to die? That shit's funny as fuck. Wow. Bro, you know that, shit, you know that shit's weird, bro. Hey, Aiden, can I have $10,000? No. Why? Aiden, I would say yes. <laughs> bro, so just shut the fuck up, bro. Dude, like, I can't believe you just asked me that. Listen, bro. Can you actually not swap me ever again, bro? I'm dead fucking serious. Hey, Aiden, I'm in LA. Can I come over? You want to hang out? Not there, no. Oh, but when you are, you want to hang out? No. To me, this kind of brings up the idea of a parasocial relationship and how it can get real messy. That's a relationship that goes one way, where... Me as a viewer might view someone who I'm watching as a stream as my actual friend, but they don't know I exist. 
This is clearly a fan of his that has had some interaction with him in the past and truly believes that he's one of Aiden's friends. So much so that when Aiden doesn't see a DM, he goes into overdrive and swats him. And minutes after being confronted about it, he's asking for money or asking to hang out. It. I'm struggling to think of a word for this, but the first thing that comes to mind is bonkers. This is bonkers to me. But now you're thinking to yourself again, how? How did this happen, John? This is a cyber podcast. Tell me more about how this happens. Well, it all comes back to OSINT. You know, open source intelligence. It's any kind of information that's freely available online for the internet at large. And if you know where to look, it can be easy to use. In this episode, OSINT is essentially going to be synonymous with cyberstalking as well, because there is a line. There's a line between using OSINT for work, using it for tasks, and stalking. So I'll run through some hypotheticals and try not to get too into the details, but a streamer like Aiden, they have a camera on them quite a bit. It's not just at their home, sometimes it's out and about on a live stream or in videos. Even in this stream, you can see him potentially engaging in some questionable practices. Let's start with the most common thing, a username. With any username, like his Twitch name, it's pretty likely that someone can find it in use in other places and try to tie it all into one account picture. Maybe through that, they find an email address. From there, it's even possible to see if there's any breach data that's tied to that email address. How many times have you gotten an email from a service or a subscription that you pay for and it says, hey, just so you know your data was involved in a recent breach, don't worry though, the business is fine. You just might have to change your email, password, and engage in credit monitoring for the foreseeable future. We're sorry. Yeah, it's out there. Breaches are common. The breach data is almost readily available sometimes. And then there's the fact that a lot of content creators like this make life decisions part of the content they display, which is fair. They're marketing themselves as a personality and as entertainment. So if a creator moves into a new house, they might make a comment about their new office or make a comment about how the move goes or even a video about the process. Ultimately, that's not a whole lot, but add with that the fact that it's not hard to assume that you know what state they're in if you've been watching them for a while, maybe even what city, because again, maybe they're broadcasting at certain times that give away the time zone. Maybe they talk about local events or sports teams. Each of these pieces added together creates something that might allow someone to go, hey, I think this guy lives in Vegas. Now to be clear, Aiden doesn't live in Vegas, this is just me throwing out a random city, but that's the kind of thing that can happen. And you know what, an internet creeper will do things that will kind of go a little bit more in depth, like maybe trying to put real estate listings together and see, hey, that looks like his office in this listing. I think I have his address. There's really no limit to what people can keep trying to Google and keep trying to find, because while they're doing this, you as a person this is happening to might have no idea it's happening. So how can you stop something that you can't even see? And I'm hesitant to even describe some of these tactics. I feel slimy talking about it, almost like I'm doing something wrong for knowing about how that works myself. But then again, how are you going to consider avoiding it if you don't know how it works? It's a weird place to sit. Now, I want to take this moment and talk about how unfortunately easy it can be to offload this process as well. And what I mean by that 
is, say I'm one of these creeps that wants to swat someone or someplace, but I don't want to tie myself to it. There are actually services on the dark web where you can contract out swatting calls. According to Jason Law of Boston 25 News, it's a service that's sometimes titled Swatting and Bomb Threat Services. Not surprising, where a buyer can use crypto to have someone else do the deed. And I don't think that's the actual title of what you'll find on the dark web. I imagine there's going to be varying services, but I'm not going to get into semantics here about that. And I don't want to share it. But that's what the descriptor is. And it's what you're buying. And if you look at this article from March of this year from Law, you can see that he found one seller that sold over 300 fake threats and even goes so far as to offer bulk discounts. This guy is the bargain bin of swatting and bomb threats. He even had a pricing model where one school to swat costs $19, two schools, $31, and 10 schools brings it down to $80. That's $8 a school. The buyer might even get a quality control copy of a recording that's going to be used for it. It weirdly reminds me of ransomware as a service, where these threat actors are offering a weird level of support and quality to what they're doing so that maybe you'll come back and do it again. And you might be thinking, how can we let this keep going? But what happens in cases like this is that these services are run outside of the United States, which as we've discussed in the past, makes legal action very difficult. That's on top of these already being hosted on the dark web. And if you need any more clarification on that, I will direct you back to the episode that we had called What is the Dark Web? Where we detail a little bit more about how this works and how these might be hosted. But in this case, there is one benefit to it being hosted outside of the United States. And that's that it does make law enforcement slightly more capable of detection when these attacks happen. Because the people who are swatting are using voice over IP phone services that can be easily identified right off the bat. It's not foolproof, but it does work well as a first layer of defense. The other thing that tends to happen, unfortunate as it may be, is that popular streamers sometimes make friends with the police departments of wherever they live. One streamer, Amaranth, for example, who is a majorly popular variety streamer, told her fans that she has a relationship with the police force of her town because of how often this happens. And even still, it's sometimes not enough. People will take action against her home, people will try to dox her, and you may most notably remember that name because her house was attacked this year. So here up to this point, we have two big encounters, ranging from someone that isn't a widely known individual to a multi-million follower content creator, both of whom have had their lives definitively altered by the kind of people that would do something like this, and they didn't know it was happening until it was too late. Then you've got the perpetrators. On the one hand, we had Williams, who I tried to find online, and if the Twitter account that I was able to tie him to is correct, then you suddenly start to see how some of this came together, because boy, this guy's tweets were racist, full of threatening gun violence, and honestly quite alarming. I suspect he may have had his account banned at one point, and then got unbanned given the recent changes at X, because it's hard for me to see this and see how his entire account is not a red flag waiting to happen. On the other hand, you've got someone who thinks that you're friends and wants your attention and that this is the only way they know how to get it by acting out against you on a 
supreme level. These are literal children doing this, under 20 years old in most cases. And we need to push this on the youth of this generation that there are consequences to this. And speaking of the consequences, I'm going to tell one last story of swatting because this is the case where someone does lose their life to this. Don't misunderstand, this is not the only case, but it's the one that I'm going to bring up. There have been incidents where people were swatted and they went into cardiac arrest and died, but this is different. And it's one I think many people might remember, except for some of our younger audience. This occurred in late 2017, almost six years ago now. So let's flash back to then. We're gonna start with three young men involved in this. We have Casey Viner, Tyler Barris, and Shane Gaskill. At this time, Viner was just 19 years old. Again, these are barely adults. It was a pretty standard night for him in North College Hill, Ohio, and Viner decided that he was going to play Call of Duty World War II. He ended up playing with Shane Gaskill. In the next piece that I'm going to detail here, I got from the court records that I was able to find of a plea agreement that would come out of this, and it detailed a timeline of the events. I'll have a link to the entire plea agreement on my website in the transcript, but this is what I was able to take from it. And this is all taken out of section two, the factual basis for a plea that would come. On December 28th, 2017, Viner and Gaskill were playing Call of Duty together. Viner was playing from Ohio and Gaskill was playing from Kansas. At some point in this back and forth and playing, a wager had been made and several more games that led to exactly what I think you would expect from a Call of Duty lobby. A lot of toxic behavior. They would argue online, in the chat, and even online in other mediums past that. It gets so heated that Viner threatened to swat Gaskill, and Gaskill, who in other documents it came out egged him on, gave his address to Viner. So what does he do? Viner called up his buddy Tyler Barris and said, hey, I want you to actually swat this guy. Tyler, wanting to apparently do some level of due diligence here, followed Gaskill on Twitter and tried to fact check the address as residential. He did, and even went so far as to getting the Wichita, Kansas Police Department's phone number for this. So now, it's about 6.10 p.m., and this is when things started heating up, because Harris, who lived in California, started his series of attempts to get the SWAT team involved. He started with the Wichita Police Department downtown security desk, and he did this with a phone number that he got from a service called Text Now. Using that, he tried to disguise himself and make it seem like that this call came from a Wichita number, not California. That way, it would give it an air of legitimacy. He'd call back again at 6.15, and then again at 6.17. So about seven minutes has passed from the first call till now. And at this point, he called and stated his name was Brian, and that his mother struck his father with a gun. This, in itself, merited him a transfer to the county emergency department, and at 6.18 p.m., a new dispatcher asked for the location of the incident. That's exactly what Barris had been waiting for, so at that time, under the name of Brian, he gave the address that he'd received from Viner, who got that from Gaskill. But not only that, he added in this line, saying, quote, I just shot my dad in the head, because he was arguing with my mom, and it was getting way out of control. The dispatcher again confirms the address. All the while, Shane has no idea this is going on, and Barris 
adds into this once more, upping the ante, that he has his mother and his brother at gunpoint. So what do officers do? They respond as I think you'd expect them to, like there's a gun and hostage scenario happening. They arrive at the address, believing this to be an active crime scene, and establish a perimeter around the area. Now, we'll move up to 6.28 p.m., not even 20 minutes since the first phone call. And at that point, the door to the address I was given opened up, a man stepped out onto the porch, and an officer fired a shot that would kill this person. Now, you might notice that I didn't say Gaskill, because Gaskill gave him a false address. And what happened in this case is a man named Andrew Finch, with absolutely zero ties to this situation, opened his door to a police blockade. I can't imagine how he felt opening his door to this. And when he stepped outside, he made a scared movement that I can't be surprised at. I would be startled too. My movements probably would be pretty erratic in this case. And unfortunately, it startled officers who had intelligence that this man had a weapon at this correct address. And this led to his death. These three men condemned an innocent man to death over call of duty. They traumatized his family, traumatized the responding officers who, in this case, were acting as they truly believed they should be, only to find out later that they had been played, and likely inflicted a bit of self-trauma on themselves through this, all over a video game. All three men in this case would receive some level of punishment. Barris was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison. He pleaded guilty to more than 50 felonies nationwide, including federal charges in Kansas of making an interstate hoax that resulted in death and cyberstalking. Those felonies also included more swatting and bomb threat attempts on the FCC headquarters in Washington. Part of Viner's conviction included obstruction of justice and conspiracy. The obstruction piece was that in an attempt to wipe himself free of this, he cleaned his phone and reset it to factory settings, hoping that it would erase communications for when the police came looking. He would end up getting 15 months in jail. And lastly, Gaskill was placed on a deferred prosecution. I wanted to share that so that if anyone out there is listening to the first few stories here thinking no harm, no foul, they can see how close any one of these incidents can come to this situation. It's not a prank. It's not funny. It's people's real lives that are being wagered on the responses of the police at the hands of people they may never have even met. I'm John Cordes, and I hope that this provided a little bit of light for you as to how impactful swatting can be. For the last part of this show, I wanted to go into the community again for an end prompt question that we had a bit of an interesting discussion about in the show's Discord. It comes from the user Pointy Elephant and reads, what do you do when friends and relatives don't respect your online privacy? Stuff like posting pics of you and your children on public socials without your knowledge or consent, or giving out your email and or physical address so that they can get a referral discount, or allowing an app to access their contact list, etc. This is a great question, it's a tough question, and as always, I want to preface this with me reminding you that I'm by no means the gold standard here. These are just my thoughts on it. Dealing with friends and family online or in real life can be tricky, especially about cyber stuff. 
There's a line between not wanting to come off as standoffish and wanting to be respectful, and sometimes I think I cross that line. Admittedly, it all kind of comes back to a topic that I think I bring up every now and then, and that's accepted risk. In a hypothetical where I didn't want pictures of myself or my family online, the first thing I think I'd do here is just straight up tell my family to clear the posts through me that involve me. Ask me, hey, can I post this? This is something that I try to do with my family that has children specifically. If I'm sharing a photo of them or their children, I always ask for the clearance to do so. Especially if they don't share pics frequently themselves, I feel like it's being respectful. But that being said, there is technically nothing stopping me from taking a picture and posting it if I want to. Sure, if I tagged them, they could remove the tags, but the photos would stay up. But really, what I think it comes down to is that if you have family or friends that are disrespecting your wishes like that, it ultimately isn't really much of a cyber thing, but a personal relationship problem. The best thing you can do here, I think, is to sit them down and tell them why you're concerned about these being online. You don't need to educate them about everything like they don't know about it. Just share why their concerns for you. Then you would probably want to set some boundaries. If people don't respect those boundaries, then they accept the consequences, which might just be in this case that you don't really feel like devoting time to them. For some of these things, you can probably even set boundaries and tactics that they don't need to know about. Like just use a giveaway email instead of a real one. My wife and I have an email account that is specifically for purposes like that that we use to give out that doesn't tie back to our normal accounts and information. Honestly, the whole thing is a challenging subject because there's no right answer. But the wrong answer is to not say anything, especially if it's bothering you. Then it'll just fester, but I think the best thing you can do, like I said, is to model the behavior that you'd like to be given to you by giving it to them. Ask them first about all your posts and involve them and hope that they clue in to the fact that this is something that's important to you. You can't do a lot about them sharing their contact lists. Ultimately, there's really not a lot that you can do to control them like that. Again, you can educate them, tell them why this might not be a good thing, but if they wanna do it, they can. I hope that kind of answers this question because I think I kind of went off on a couple tangents there at the end, but I think we came back around. If you have any input on this, bring it over to the end prompt discussion on the Discord. We can continue it there. So that's it for this week. This was an episode that I hope I dealt with as tactfully as I could. It's important for people to know about this because of how scary and sometimes easily it can happen. If you left today with anything, I hope it's just an expanded mindset about how serious it can be each time you see an article about this. And if you've taken the time to listen up to here, thank you. If you want to chat about this episode, please join us in the show's Discord. I love engaging with everyone over there, and the link is in the description below for the episode. It's also on my website, and it's on my Instagram, at shell underscore pod. I'm happy to be back, and I think you guys will be too, because I've got a couple more new ideas that I'm going to try to create over the next few weeks, and some of it's going to be a little bit different than what you're used to. To sign off, I'll just say thank you, especially to those of you that are still supporting me on Patreon. There are a bunch of you. So JS, Steven, Kilby, Frank, Jay, Aiden, Ben Sweetnam, Ben M, John, Chris Finnick, Pseudo, RKFLDXVUV, and last but never again, not least, quote, I use Pot of Greed to draw free additional cards from my deck. Thanks. I really appreciate it. If you want to join their ranks, you can find my Patreon at patreon.com slash whattheshell. 
let's keep this truck rolling. I'll see you all next episode. In October, we're going to have two episodes and even more behind-the-scenes content. And if that behind-the-scenes content doesn't make sense to you, check out the Instagram. I have a couple of reels for what it looks like when I actually make these episodes, what my process is. And I'm going to do more stuff like that in the future. So follow me and you'll see what I'm talking about.